this morning, our coming Savior. We are going to go into part two, our Advent. And this is a story or a question, what are you looking for? This is a big question for our culture and our society. What are we looking for? Some people are looking for the next big job, the next promotion. Some are looking for a meal on their plate the next day, and that's it. Some people are looking for jobs. Some people are looking for healing. Some people are looking for relationships. People are looking for things. And if you stop for just a moment and be still, you may actually begin to think through what it is you may be looking for. It's an important question. It's an important question because wherever you go and each person you meet, that person at some level has something they're looking for, whether it's to get back home, to get out of the traffic rush, to get out of the mall, you know, to anything that people are looking for something. In today's story, we're going to dig into it. In Dr. Seuss's Christmas classic, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, it is the story of an unsuccessful attempt to destroy Christmas. We all know that story. But we have another Grinch a guy named Herod. And Herod also tries to destroy Christmas, or Christ himself, <laughs> like literally. And so we're going to dig into that one today. It'll be a lot of fun. So, what happens in the story? I'd like you to watch this next video clip to kind of capture a visit by some wise men to King Herod. Could we roll the tape? they here? As your advisor, I feel compelled to communicate my hesitation about this meeting. Do you even know these men? We do not. So why even take a meeting with them? They are stargazers. They are Gentiles. These men have valuable information. We play our cards right. They will help us infinitely more than we can help ourselves. Send them in. Gentlemen, greetings. Welcome. Welcome. My staff tells me you've come a long way. This is true. We've come from the east. Is that right? And I trust your journeys have not been too difficult. They're like most journeys. Some good, some bad, but mostly long. <laughs> so tell me, as a man who doesn't do much journeying myself anymore, what is it that would inspire men such as yourself to undertake such a long trip. Well, as I'm sure you know, word has been spreading about the birth of a Messiah. We witnessed his star, and so we have come to worship him. Is that right? A new Messiah. I must admit, I feel a little... Silly. This is the first I'm hearing of this. It's said to be in a place called Bethlehem. Do you know where we could find this place? Lucky for you, 
Bethlehem is only about 10 miles away. 10 miles? Ah, that's such a relief. After so many miles, 10 seems just around the corner. Isn't that the truth? <laughs> I know you're eager to resume your journey and witness this new Messiah firsthand, but please, before you go, allow me to be a good host and offer you a drink. To the Messiah. To the new king. Would you do me a favor? Of course. Once you have found this new king, would you come back and tell me exactly where he is so that I might have the opportunity to go and worship him myself? Consider it done, King Herod. was an actual historical person. And much has been written about him. He's only mentioned twice in the Gospels. The first is in Luke. The other one is in Matthew. And both are related to the birth of Christ. Powerful story. History well records his accomplishments. He was a bad dude, okay? He was not a good guy. He was born in 73 BC to a very powerful family. Herod's grandfather and father both served as military commanders and were well respected by the Romans. Herod effectively demonstrated all of his political trait and skill. He was well versed in politics. And he was smooth. He was good as far as that's concerned. Roman historians show that Herod's father and Herod were assets to the Roman military machine. And both were well rewarded for their faithfulness to Rome with positions of power in areas under Roman rule. Herod's father was killed by poisoning in 43 BC. He began to emerge as his father's political heir and successor under Roman power. So you have that in your history of your dad being murdered for his role. You think that'll do something to you? Do you think that'll make you a little more cautious? You betcha. Herod had proved himself as an asset to Rome, and in 40 B.C., the Roman Senate named Herod the king of the Jews. Interesting. (laughs) Because of some other ongoing civil war power struggles within Rome, it wasn't until 37 B.C. that Herod officially began his rule as king of the Jews. It was a rule that would span from 37 B.C. to 4 B.C. For 33 years, Herod ruled harshly, and with great impact in Judea. He had a ruthless reputation. This is where the bad part is. He was brutal. He shed much blood to secure his throne from anybody who might appear to want to take it away. He had good ears, good senses. It was not beyond Herod to murder his own family, if he thought there was a coup to take him out. He killed his favorite wife, He killed some of his sons. Loving daddy, 
you know, good figure. Yeah, right. And he killed many others who tried to take his grip from his kingdom. He was ruthless. This is the Herod these wise men came to meet. When Herod was not killing off potential threats to his throne, he was building his kingdom and expanding his influence through the region. He was very wealthy. In fact, one of the wealthiest kings. He constantly taxed those under his rule. However, when famine came, he was one of the smartest. And people looked to him for his leadership. And he was able to meet the needs and find ways to keep his people fed. So there's a bit of, let me clobber you over the head with your taxes, but I'm going to make sure that you're well fed. And clonk, give, clonk, give. You're like, like good legalistic churches. You know, they clomp you over the head with rules, and then they tell you God loves you. But then they tell you you're bad, and, and then they tell you, you know, like it's just a roller coaster. King Herod did this to his people. So there was a very difficult uh, leadership model here. It's hard to get rid of them. He had building projects. He loved buildings. In fact, it was he who built the temple in Jerusalem, not the Jews. Some people thought, oh, the Jews built the temple. No, Herod built the temple. And that wall that you have up in Jerusalem right now, the wailing wall, that's not the temple wall. That's the outer wall. That was a protective wall. But Herod built a beautiful temple, and so much so that it was one of the wonders, one of the great wonders of the world. People would go from great distances just to see this gold-laced, plated, covered temple. It was brilliant. He also built many other cities and structures that still stand to this day. Building projects were in Caesarea in the, on the Mediterranean coast. His summer palace at Masada, if you know anything about Masada, that's a phenomenal piece of, of uh, architecture. In fact, uh, much later, some zealots hit off in, in, in Masada, trying to avoid Roman capture and end up killing themselves so they wouldn't be taken capture. Lots of history. Great movies have been made about Masada. The Dead Sea Scrolls were found not too far away from there. Herod's architectural footprint stretched far and wide during his reign. He had worked too hard, and he was too politically and militarily minded to, not, to allow any kind of threat into his kingdom. So when he heard of this little baby Jesus, <laughs> he was not happy. Not happy at all. Let's read Matthew chapter 2. Oops. As Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the reign of King Herod, about that time some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is this newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. They walked into the city, King Herod's city. Everybody knew what Herod was like. Everybody knew what he was like. So here they come. Hey, where's this king of the Jews? Can you start to see the terror? Can you see what's going to happen? These guys are not going to last long. <laughs> Just like going into a, remember those old shootout um, westerns where you know somebody's going to get so Everybody closed their doors and stuff and quickly hides so the bullets don't come into their place. That's probably what was going through some of their minds. King Herod was deeply disturbed 
when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. And I'm not sure if they were disturbed because there's a king of the Jews coming, but as much as it is, they knew Herod doesn't do well to those who are a threat. They knew his history. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is this Messiah supposed to be born? And here's the funny part. Listen carefully. They answered him. Think about that for a minute. They knew the answer. They said, in Bethlehem, in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. They knew. And what do they do? Nothing. They weren't even aware, looking. Hmm. I wonder what we do when we have news. What do we do about revelation and truth that has been given to us? Do we just, eh, I'll get to it later. It's not that important yet. Especially when God's trying to teach us something. Do we take it to heart? The long-awaited prophecy of the Messiah born in Bethlehem had finally become true. And the one born king of the Jews was living right under Herod's nose. (laughs) When Herod gathered the chief priests and scribes to help him understand the prophecies, they told him this. It's from Micah chapter uh, 5, verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. The reason this is important, all the Jews knew this verse. They knew it was coming. This was foretold. Now, if you hear rumblings of something foretold and you begin to see some of this stuff happening, wouldn't you start to freak out and go, whoa, this is kind of cool, this is going to happen. You hear of a concert coming of one of your favorite musicians. Ooh, you look at the calendar and it's only, you know, okay, let's go even better. Star Wars is coming out. Okay? Forget Christmas. Star Wars is on people's calendars. You know, like, there we go. Uh, See? They know exactly the date and some people have pre-booked their tickets because they're looking forward to the day because it has been foretold it's coming. And you actually believe it. (laughs) Oh, wait a minute. It is coming. Imagine that. But why do you believe it? Because you have a pattern of history that you believe. You believe and trust your newspapers and announcements. The Jews trusted the belief of their prophets. But something happened here. They were not looking for it. A star in the sky. Hmm. This created a lot of trouble. The wise men, or magi, from the east had followed it from their homeland somewhere around Babylon. These magi were from a culture that placed high value on the night sky and developed a study of the stars and planets. And the magi believed in all the heavens, that all the heavens were connected and had a special alignment with events that took place on earth. The New Testament scholar N.T. Wright, if you've ever heard of him, worth reading. If you can read anything by N.T. Wright, it's amazing. He writes this, When something important was happening on earth, you could expect to see it reflected in the heavens. Alternatively, a remarkable event among the stars and planets must mean they thought a remarkable event on earth was going to happen. When these wise men from the east saw the star, they took it as a sign, and they went for it. And listen to this. These were Gentiles, non-Jews, 
who couldn't care less about Jewish history, and yet maybe they did. Maybe they need more than you would think. How would they possibly hear about this Jewish history? I'll tell you a little more later. In fact, I was impressed when I realized, oh my goodness, God set this up to spread this word all through, his, all through Israel and throughout the whole land? It's incredible. These men were main, men of power, means, and intellect. They were smart people. They were not stupid. They came to seek, worship, and pay homage to this newborn king. For centuries, the exiled Jews had been speaking of this coming Messiah. Where were these exiled Jews put? Where do you think? Daniel and Jeremiah talked about this, but not too long ago, you and I have shared a story that actually impacts why this news was spreading out. And there's a story of Daniel. The story where he was called by King Nebuchadnezzar to talk about a dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. And he interpreted it. First he told him what the dream was, because the king forgot. And then he told him what it meant. Told him the statue of the gold, the silver, the bronze, the iron, and the feet of clay and iron. And the rock coming was going to smash the feet of the coming of Jesus. They timed it. This is all part of the plan. And the king answered Daniel and said this, Truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him a ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Hmm. Don't underestimate what just happened, folks. That event immediately put him into a position of respect and people would actually listen to him. So he would then begin to share his history. He would begin to tell them, because he was now in charge of all these wise ones, he would tell them of this coming Messiah. They all knew in Babylon. There's a lot going on here than you think. He was an influencer and God placed him there on purpose. And where do you think the wise men came from? Hello, Babylon. That whole region. Funny how that works. In Jeremiah 29, I want to read this to you. You're going to think, how does that fit? But it does. And what you may not realize is this church has a, a verse right from Jeremiah 29 that uh, fits our purpose. But I bet you never knew the previous verses that led up to the verse. I give you a future and a hope. You're going to hear it today. Jeremiah 29, verse 4. This is what the Lord... Oh, good. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives, all those that are exiled... To Babylon from Jerusalem. So God knows they're exiled. They know, he brought them there. And here's what he tells them specifically. Build your homes. Plan to stay. That's weird. Plant gardens. Eat the food they produce. Marry and have children. Find spouses for them so that they may have many grandchildren. Multiply. Do not dwindle away. And work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. They were to go to be ambassadors of peace and prosperity just by being people of God. 
You don't get to use your crappy history as a reason to go, this is the way I am because of what happened to me. No more. You're a child of God. The crap that happened to you does not define you. It just tells you where you've been. You can't lick your wounds forever. Stop it. It's time to walk in the healing that has been given to you. This is going to be a tough one. Because sometimes it's a lot easier just to go, well, I've had all these problems, and this is why the way I am. And then you get to milk all the emotional, you know, coddling everybody. Oh, I'm so sorry. There's room for that. But not forever. Not when that becomes your thing. You're addicted to your problem of the past. How about get addicted to your future, the one you walk in? This is good news. And God's telling the Israelites, you guys don't dwindle. Multiply. Become prosperous where you've been planted. Pray to the Lord for it. For its welfare, welfare will determine your welfare. This is what the Lord of the heaven's armies, the God of Israel says, Do not let your prophets and fortune tellers who are with you in the land of Babylon trick you. Do not listen to their dreams because they are telling you lies in my name. I have not sent them, said the Lord, says the Lord. This is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised, and I will bring you home again. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Have you ever, ever read that in context? Oh, that's amazing. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. That's how it ends. Are you looking wholeheartedly? Has God given you a revelation of his love? You're going to trust it. Do you know God has forgiven you? What are you going to do about that fact? Are you going to pursue understanding what that means? Or well, that's nice. What time's lunch? Really? How interesting it is to think that these Jewish people who were sent into exile in Babylon nearly six centuries before the birth birth of Christ, would be the mouthpiece of the story of the coming Messiah. From them it comes. There's more going on in our world than you know. More going on in the stars than you know. Once the exile was lifted, many Jews stayed where they were. They had planted their roots. They had grandchildren. They owned land. They, they were enjoying the prosperity of the Lord. They were just having a great time. Made a life for themselves. And yet the stories of the coming Messiah were still passed on. And guess who was listening? The Gentiles all around them. Because Daniel started sharing it with all the wise men. The Magi had heard all the stories and all the prophecies. They were students of philosophies, culture, and religions, as well as students of the sky. Now a star was shining so bright. Something was up. It was a sign that the heavens had led them to foretell the coming of this one Messiah. Of all the people in Matthew 2, these Gentiles from the east were the only ones coming to worship. The only ones. The Jewish leaders tagged in verse 4 as chief priests and scribes. The people basically responded to Herod's questions of the prophecies of the coming of the Messiah with one word, indifference. Big deal. Nye. 
or meh. Doesn't mean anything to you. Three groups of people had different responses to the birth of Christ. Herod, when he heard, was troubled, and so were the people who knew Herod. The Jewish chief priests and scribes, as I said, were indifferent, couldn't have cared less. But the gentle, Gentile wise men came prepared to worship. I've got to tell you something pretty powerful about this. What is worship? You have just seen worship at its core from Gentiles being drawn by God. And guess how they worshipped? By seeking, doing the effort, putting in the work of going and giving, bringing gifts. And not just a, a dollar store gift. Okay? They brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And guess who inspired them? God did. God set it up. They were fulfilling a promise made in Jeremiah 29, 13. It says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And they sought with all their hearts. And they found the Messiah. Guess who led them there? God. Maybe we're supposed to have a more active role in the process. Imagine that. Yeah, but this grace message is so restful. We don't have to do anything. No, you don't have to do anything to be accepted. But you will have much to do and much action to respond to the good news. There's a ton to do. We're not called to be lazy. We're called to work hard. Spread the message of love and grace. However God has set it up for us to do it. Well, this is to encourage one another. We're a body with many parts. Each has different gifts. We're supposed to be working together. The wise men were seeking a newborn king. Led them to Jerusalem. They blabbed all about it. And the word got out to King Herod. There's some people out there looking for the king of the Jews. And he says, I'm the king of the Jews. Uh, you better get them to me quick. Because I ain't get rid of this threat. Oh, it's a baby? Pfft, no problem. Tell you what, guys. When you find him, Tell me where he is that I can worship him too. <laughs> As in, that's what he wanted to do. No attention of worshiping. He wasn't dumb. He was politically minded. And he knew that these men were coming from another land that had great armies. He had to be smart. He didn't know what the threat could be. He'd, he'd grown up in politics. He'd been around death. He instituted death. He was, he was a very, very ruthless man. He was strategic, politically motivated. And he found a really good way to get the information. Matthew 2. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men. And he learned from them the time the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem, search carefully for the child, and when you find him... By the way, why wouldn't Herod go? Huh. Why wouldn't he go, there's a threat, I'm going to take out this kid? Well, first of all, it was a prophecy, and he'd heard about all this stuff for a while, and if it's a legitimate threat, he doesn't want to embarrass himself by going there and, and then actually showing faith. He believed in Jewish prophecy. Can't let that happen. That would give credibility. So, still not sure, sure. But if they came back, oh, we'll take out that threat no matter how true it is. When you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go worship him too. 
After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. Yes! The happy dance. Woo! You know, they, they were going nuts. However, they conservatively did it as Eastern people. I don't know. But they were filled with joy. They entered the house. They entered a house, not a stable. And saw the child with his Mary, mother Mary. And they bowed down and worshipped. When they opened the treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route. For God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. What a better way to warn them. These are men that understand visions and things like this. He came to them in one of the dreams and warned them. Herod's plan was for the Magi to lead him to the home of this young threat who was only a couple months old. And off they went. This story proves that it's been some time since Jesus had been born. The manger scene of the wise men is a fairy tale. It's just a nice way to put the whole story into one, one little, little you know, picture. Isn't that cute? But it's not a completely accurate Jesus' family was now living in a house. Overwhelmed with emotions, they offered the gifts. And these three gifts have caused many to believe that there were only three wise men, which the Bible does not say. The Bible doesn't even say they were kings. They called them magi. Let's get our facts right. It really does help the story. Later in the 6th century, Sony, these guys have names. Imagine that. Balthazar, Gaspar, or Caspar, and Melikor. And they're thought to be from Arabia, India, Babylon, and Persia. That's where the history says they came from. But our Bible doesn't tell us that. It's worth having extra biblical history on the side. It speaks into the story. It makes it rich. You should be careful how much you put into it. Gold and frankincense and myrrh. We know about gold because gold is amazing and everybody knows what it is. It's a precious thing. Frankincense is pretty much the same, same name as incense. But myrrh is actually a gum resin. It was used to prepare a body for burial. It was a gift for a king. And why would you give that? It'd be like, it'd be like bringing a really nice coffin to a baby shower. Just thinking ahead. <laughs> You're going to die, right? You do know that. <laughs> the women went to the tomb after the crucifixion and probably brought that myrrh. Good chance. Can't say for sure, but they did bring myrrh. But God was preparing the next steps. Why were these gifts there? Because there's a great chance God foreknew. Oh, he did know. And so he brought them the resources they needed to actually make the trip down to Egypt. And they could live there as long as they needed. And off they went. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up! Flee to Egypt! (laughs) With the child and his mother. And the angel said, Stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother. And they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. I called my son out of Egypt. Another prophecy. Boy, God's really making this thing work. That all these prophecies will happen. Boy, it says he's going to come out of Egypt. How's he going to get him to Egypt? By putting a threat on his life and they have to escape. All this is happening on purpose. 
It's not by chance. And God supernaturally provided this through the prophet Hosea, who said, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Out of Egypt I called my son, Hosea. Bethlehem was 75 miles to the border of Egypt, and another 100 miles once inside the border to a place of safety. There was roughly a million Jews already there. They already had a community that they walked into. It wasn't like they kind of, you know, set up shop as refugees. They, there was already a community there. It wasn't hard. And the gifts the wise men gave them financed the trip. Good chance. Once he knew he had been tricked, Herod went nuts. Ballistic. There's a word in the Greek when he says he became furious. It was the um, Leon Tumo. Basically means it goes ballistic. That was all he was focused on now. That was it. There was a threat for his kingdom. And he, this is the only thing you think of. It's lunchtime. No, we got to find this little baby. You know, nothing. He could not focus on anything else but to get rid of the threat. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Get up, the angel said. Take the child and his mother back to the land of Israel, because those who are trying to kill the child are dead. So Joseph got up and returned to the land of Israel with Jesus and his mother. But when he learned that the new ruler of Judah was Herod's son, he was afraid to go there. Then after being warned in a dream, he left for the region of Galilee. So the family went and lived in a town called Nazareth, fulfilling... What the prophets had said, he'll be called a Nazarene. How convenient. There's a plan here. And it was all foretold before anybody could make up the story. When Jesus came back and began teaching his hometown, people became angry. We don't know fully why, but here's potential guess. What if the people pieced it together? What if... There were people there whose kids were slaughtered by Herod. After all, Jesus was around 30, you know, in that time. What if there was a connecting of the dots? Just a chance. I'm not telling you it's true. I'm saying it's not hard. It's not that far off. And therefore, he was not welcomed in his hometown. Herod, the appointed king of the Jews, was dead. And left a horrible heritage. Jesus, the one born king of the Jews, would have a very different legacy. One we're experiencing today. King Herod was selfish and self-indulgent. King Jesus was self-denying and self-sacrificing. Herod was yielding to Satan. Jesus was about vanquishing Satan. Herod was the destroyer of people. Jesus was the savior of the people. Herod was cruel, even to little ones. Jesus was kind, especially to the little ones. What do you seek for? Are you indifferent to the good news God has given you? Does Christ's life in you matter all? Does it have any effect on you? The hunger comes from within and often sparked from outside. But it speaks to the truth he's already put in you. God loves you. He came to give you life and he succeeded. Now when you know there is life to be lived, your whole life will change. When Jesus, the author of life, allows himself to live out through you, you will, your mind will change and your perspective of people will change. The fruit of knowing God is amazing. Hebrews 11.6 says this, 
And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists, that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. The wise men sincerely sought Jesus, and they found him, and their response was giving. What's your response to Christ? Think about it, and may it not be indifference. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Teach us how to respond better to the generosity you've placed in us. This morning, for those who may be seeking to understand who you are, will you gently continue to reveal your love and life to them? And then may we take this good news we know and share it with others in a very real, non-religious way. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.